Today, as we look into the New Testament, we'll be reading from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And uh, let's look at what the Word says. You know, we do not have the right to give up our freedom, for that was purchased by Christ. But we do have the freedom to give up our rights. For the sake of winning the lost, Paul gave up his right to receive financial support, and he begged the Corinthians to give up their rights for the sake of the saved. Christian ministry is like fighting a war. Caring for a vine, a vineyard, tending a flock, and cultivating a field. Meditate on these images and see what they teach you about serving the Lord. Ministry is stewardship, and the servant must be faithful. Ministers of Christ are also like runners who must keep the rules or be disqualified. And in a few of these verses, we'll see that they call for courtesy and wisdom in witness, not for compromise. I have become all things to all men. Does not mean Paul had no personal convictions. No, not at all. It means he used his convictions to build bridges, not walls. If he seemed inconsistent, it was only because people did not look deep enough. His one overriding and great desire was to win the lost, and that governed his every decision. It was Howard W. Newton who wrote, Tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. And with that... Let's begin now our reading today in the New Testament. August 14th, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Do I, Paul, not have as much freedom as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my hard work that you are in the Lord? Even if others think I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you, For you are living proof that I am the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority as an apostle. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a Christian wife along with us, as the other disciples and the Lord's brothers and Peter do? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? What soldier has to pay his own expenses? And have you ever heard of a farmer who harvests his crop and doesn't have the right to eat some of it? What shepherd takes care of a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? And this isn't merely human opinion. Doesn't God's law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says, Do not keep an ox from eating as it treads out the grain. Do you suppose God was thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he also speaking to us? Of course he was. Just as farm workers who plow fields and thresh the grain expect a share of the harvest, Christian workers should be paid by those they serve. We have planted good spiritual seed among you. Is it too much to ask in return for mere food and clothing? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? Yet we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything then put an obstacle in the way of the good news about Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their meals from the food brought to the temple as offerings? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, 
the Lord gave orders that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet I have never used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this to suggest that I would like to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my distinction of preaching without charge. For preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't do it. If I were doing this of my own free will, then I would deserve payment. But God has chosen me and given me this sacred trust, and I have no choice. What then is my pay? It is the satisfaction I get from preaching the good news without expense to anyone, never demanding my rights as a preacher. Good morning, everyone. This is John Lucas down here in Vinton County. Uh, I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about a principle that has been very fundamental in my development as a son of God and also a leader. To be honest, I feel like this uh, particular principle is oftentimes like swept under the rug and it maybe perhaps it's, it's less talked about here in the refuge. And yet it is so pivotal in helping us become like Jesus and becoming the men God has destined us to become. The principle is number four. It's a willingness to be taught. Um, I don't know about all you other threes on the Enneagram, but for me, I've always had to be intentional about walking this one out. Um, why do I need to be willing to be taught when I already know everything? Um, that's pretty much been my mindset, unfortunately, as I've walked out this season of my life. It's like somebody comes to me with something, and my natural sin reaction is, I need to work on this over here. Well, you have absolutely no idea or have the slightest context of that said thing. And then my arrogance, I sabotage any chance of growth or widen perceptions on, the, on that particular situation. So when we are talking about willingness to be taught, we are essentially talking about humility. More often than not, we look at this principle, we think of willingness to be taught as simply the willingness to learn book knowledge and head knowledge, which is important. But many times in this walk and in this particular season of our lives, we, we have to be willing to be taught things of our own hearts. This is called heart knowledge, which in my opinion is far more difficult to do. The ability to look at ourselves and say, I may be wrong. Maybe I don't have the answers. Maybe this person sowing into my life is making some pretty valid statements about me. And then when, when this shift takes place in our thinking, we are open up to a whole world of teachable moments. Everyone in the room has now become your teacher. Every relational exchange that happens in our day and in your day, whether good or bad, now becomes a teachable moment. Every single circumstance, the good, the bad, the ugly, has now become an opportunity for us to learn something through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called our counselor for a good reason. I think that if we have a willingness to be taught, we must, if we want to have a willingness to be taught, we must understand that a lot of times this is going to come from other people. This is why having the first three principles in order and in line is so vital for really grasping the importance of this principle. Uh, first off, number one, I am willing to be taught because I am committed to the Father and I want to please Him. Second, I have to be relational with others if I expect to learn something from them. And the chances are um, we will probably learn most from a brother uh, who we might not naturally get along with or from someone who isn't going to bullcrap us on things. 
and all of you who have come through first phase know that I love this particular verse. Like iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Once again, I have to look at every single relational exchange in my day with a willingness to be taught. And the third principle, honesty and authenticity. In order for the heart to learn, you have to be able to know who you are and take an honest and unbiased look at our mind, will, and emotions. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> you see in the Gospels many times Jesus teaching in the presence of Pharisees who probably more than anyone of that, in that Jewish culture knew and had head knowledge of Scripture. They knew Old Testament prophecies, and yet their understanding of what was taking place in front of them during Jesus' ministry was completely absent. They were proud and arrogant and walked around like they were all that in a bag of chips. But um, this brings me to this scene that I love in Scripture, um, where after a difficult and confusing teaching done by Jesus, thousands of his previous followers, followers excuse me, walked away. Despite seeing all these wonders, miracles, and things that were inexplicable that he did, and yet they chose still to walk away and not have a willingness to be taught, which an unwillingness to be taught is essentially an unwillingness to want to know Jesus. But this is a beautiful part of that scene that I'm about to talk to talk to you about. Jesus turns to his disciples and asks, will you leave me too? And Peter responds with one of my favorite statements in the whole Bible. Master, where will we go? You have the keys to eternal life. In that moment, Peter captures the heart of what God desires in us. A willingness to learn the deep things of Christ despite the, the direction of the rest of the world. A willingness to be taught is essentially a spirit of humility and an understanding that I am not self-sufficient. John Lucas is not self-sufficient. And I do not have the answers. And left to my own lofty thoughts and arrogance and hard heart, not only do I sabotage authentic growth, but I forfeit God's welcoming invitation to know him deeply and become like him. We are called to bear good fruit. If Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And then our willingness to be taught is essentially the fertilizer nurturing our roots. I love you, brothers. Never lose your willingness to be taught. God bless you. Today we'll be reading Psalm 33, verses 12 through 22. We'll see God's Word in worship. We dare not separate worship from the Word of God, for we must worship in truth. The better we know the Scriptures the better we'll be able to praise in. We'll see God's Word in creation. God spoke the universe into existence, and His Word controls it. What a powerful word that is. We'll see God's Word in history as we read through this psalm. The nations may confederate and rebel against God, but you know what? His Word will prevail. Military strength is no guarantee of success. God has a plan for the nations, and He will fulfill it. And we'll see God's Word in your life. The Word that created and controls the universe can also control your life. When you trust His Word and obey it, all the universe works for you. When you abandon that Word, all the universe works against you. Never fear the will of God, because it comes from the heart of God. Psalm 33, 
verses 12 through 22. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people He has chosen for His own. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From His throne He observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts, so He understands everything they do. The best-equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear Him, those who rely on His unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We depend on the Lord alone to save us. Only He can help us, protecting us like a shield. In Him our hearts rejoice. For we are trusting in His holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Proverbs 21, verses 11 and 12. A simpleton can learn only by seeing mockers punished. A wise person learns from instruction. The righteous one knows what's going on in the homes of the wicked. He will bring the wicked to disaster.